Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcast blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we are rewinding back to March the 12th, 2015. It was originally episode 1533. It was 12 guideposts to lifestyle design. I love this subject probably more than any subject that I cover. I, I, I really do. And it's because it actually integrates with everything we do. And honestly, God, this, this show could be called the Lifestyle Design Podcast. And it's because no matter what we're talking about designing, a preparedness plan, a backup power plan, alternative housing, an investment plan, a budget plan, a permaculture plan, a regenerative agriculture plan, a business plan. It really all fits with lifestyle design. And the reason that that's true is a lifestyle design plan, absent resilience, will fail every time. And so it won't even be a plan. Uh, there will be failures. You will go to a, you know take a certain course and you'll fail it, like a direct failure. There'll be indirect failures. You'll think your job is secure and you'll get fired. You'll think that I don't really need to worry about anything. I've got insurance on my vehicle, and you'll get in a wreck, and the insurance company will total your vehicle, and you get a pretty decent check once the uh, the, the the payment or the uh, the old debt is paid off, and you see so you're thinking I'm in pretty good shape, but you'll realize this just happened to my son. Wait a minute, buying a car right now is a lot different than buying a car a year and a half ago, and this is still. I mean, I had insurance, did everything right. This is still a big inconvenience. This is still a, a setback in our lives. And it will always happen concurrently. My son's had a whole rash of, uh, in some cases I'd say it's his own doing, in other cases, just bad luck. Just shit happening one after the next, after the next, after the next. And then a car wreck and get a vehicle total. This is just life. This is just life. And a lot of young people have a hard time with understanding this is how it is for everybody. That's the reality. Everybody has setbacks. Like just because you watch all, you put all, look at all this shit on social media, and everybody's life is perfect. That's because that's what they present. Like this is life, and so there will be setbacks. So we have to have the resiliency and the redundancy planned out, or it will fail. You know, the reason this is important, though, I can sum up a huge piece of this with a single word: demographics. Demographics. And here's what I mean by that: if you give a, a demographer a profile of a person, where they went to school, what the level of education is they have, um, and by the 25, what what they have as far as like their job and what have you. Once you get to about 25, assuming you're a big boy and you got through college in less than 19 years, uh, and I will make I'll make exceptions for people like in law school or something like that. But I mean, you should be the hell out of school and have a real job by the time you're 25, minimum, minimum. Uh, what your family was like, what your race is, what part of the country you live in, they'll tell you very, very accurately on the averages um, how old you will die at, how much money you'll have, how many kids you'll have. I mean, th they can lay out exactly what, it, and it's dramatic how accurate it is. Now, it might not be specifically accurate to the individual, but to the aggregate average, it's very, very, very accurate. And what that tells you, is there's two ways 
that you live a lifestyle design. You live it either by your own control and your own design, or you live the one that was designed for you by the people that basically you call them central planners. That society as a whole works that accurately because there's central planning, and it's designed that whatever place you pick to go through the funnel at, it's pretty much from, it's honestly, even like I said 25, birth to death, what your life's going to look like. What the odds are you're going to be married. What the odds are your marriage will last. Like I said, how many kids you're going to have, all of it. It's all designed for you. Now, if you don't like having your entire lifestyle designed on your behalf, then you only have one other choice, and that's to do it yourself. And in this episode, I give you these 12 guideposts. And when I was putting this together, I was going to call them rules, and you'll hear why I decided not to do that. Uh, because you know this show is really about breaking the rules, and I mean the show as a whole, but this episode in particular is about breaking rules. But I was... Uh, I was looking at the comments from this episode. Again, this episode's a long time ago, man, 10 years. And I realized by reading the comments, I had just gotten back from Permaculture Voices 2. And there were some really great um, comments about that. Uh, Chris here says, great episode. You must have really caught fire where you were at PV2. And... uh, I, there's a bunch of comments like if if this is what happens when you go on vacation or go out and do a project or something, go keep doing that because the one guy said like your last three episodes were, were just amazing episodes. And Chris, who said you know it was you know, I caught fire out there. Part of that comment though was, can you give that Mark Shepard quote again that you cited in this episode? It hit me like a left hook when I was listening to the podcast, but I was driving home at the time and unable to write it down. And I took a stab at one that wasn't it. And I said, oh, was this it? The biggest regret for most people when they are old and facing death will be, that they will be that they were not their true selves during their lives. Not what they did or haven't done, but regardless, that they weren't their true selves. That when they look back and say, that wasn't me. And uh, I said when I gave him that quote, I said, because when he said it, I was so grateful that I knew it would never apply to me. I can look back at decisions I made that were probably bad decisions. I have some regret about decisions. I have some regrets about how I've treated people in my life or things that I really wish I could undo that I could never undo. And, you know, when you face death, you probably will look back at this, God, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. And I've tried to do a lot of soul-searching with that now as a still relatively young person so that when I face that, it won't be the first time, which I think for many people it is. But one thing I know I won't regret, that I wasn't myself. That I wasn't my true, authentic self. And thereby, I don't know, even if I had done the same things or not done the same things, if maybe life would have been different for me if I had just been my authentic self. One of the things that I really hate to see in people, and I was going to say I hate people that are, but that's not accurate. I don't hate the person. I hate to see them do it. And I know a lot of people, uh, they're not close to me. I stay distanced from people that I would describe this way. But people that are plastic, right? Plastic people. And what I mean by plastic is they're not authentic. They're not who they are. They are whatever they feel they need to be. Right? They, they, you know, the person that goes to church, but they're not a believer. 
Just, I mean, that's what people do in my community and in my family. Well, then don't go if you don't believe. I'm sure that'll hit somebody raw. But, I mean, really, what are you doing? You're, you're pretending. You know, or the person that doesn't go, but they're a believer and they feel like they should be in church, but they don't go for whatever reasons. Well, you should go. And then just how many other examples of that are there? People that keep a job that they know is destroying their soul because that's what, good, that's what people do. They're good providers. They, this job pays well. But the problem is not that they keep the job for a time. That's good. That is what good providers do. But they use that as an excuse to not try to extricate themselves from it. People that have a dream they never pursue, they write it off completely. It's not even that they don't just drop everything and go do it, but they don't even really take a stab at it. One of the things I've always said about this show is that if it ever fails, it will be because it failed. It will never be because somebody produces a recording of me saying some things where I am being my true self, where I am talking like I really talk, like who I am. And then all my following, all my audience goes, oh my God, I didn't know Jack was like that. I didn't know Jack thought that way or felt that way or talked that way. I can't have anything to do with him anymore. That I would literally never be a victim of cancel culture, no matter how hard any group might try. Because the people that love what I do would be like, sounds like Jack. That's what he says all the time. What would you, do you have a problem with that? Okay, maybe you shouldn't listen to him. But it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. I don't do that just as a defensive mechanism for my podcast. I do that because I, I literally have conditioned myself to not be able to act otherwise. To not be able to be fake. To not be able to be fake. I could be wrong, but I'll be authentically wrong. I could choose the wrong side in a debate, but authentically. I will never say something I don't believe as though I believe it. I might quote somebody saying it, but I won't say it and profess it into my belief system, even when it's detrimental to me. I won't tell you, we should stand with Ukraine, because I don't believe we should. I don't believe that Ukraine is worth whisking World War III over. And I don't believe the claim being made that if we didn't do anything, Putin would just take the whole damn country. I don't think that's what Putin wants. I think Putin wants a Donbass region. And I think he's doing it as a countermeasure to, to the concept of Ukraine joining NATO. That's not taking a side. That's an analysis. There's no doubt that I lost people when this whole thing started, and I came out with that. I'm sorry. I know the history. Nine years of it. Actually, a lot more than nine years of it. What's most relevant is the last nine years. I understand what's happening on the ground. I understand that the, basically both sides are committing atrocities, and I don't take a side in that. It'd be really easy for me just to say, yeah, stand with my Ukraine, and just never talk about it. But then when somebody produced a recording someday of me going, this is a bunch of shit, and it ain't worth risking World War III over he's not the patriot he claimed. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't want to do it, but I also can't do it. And here's why. I think when you behave in an authentic manner long enough... It becomes so ingrained in your life that you can't stop doing it. That getting people to do the bullshit, to do the plastic pantomime, has to start very early in school. And that's why the kid that doesn't conform is such a problem for the system. 
Now, the individual teacher or administrator is not really thinking that way. They don't have to. You see, when you are a, when you are a, a controller of society, you design the system in such a way that the result is guaranteed. In such a way that the result is guaranteed, at least most of the time. And you can think of it just as simply like an assembly line. If I have an assembly line putting cars together back in the day, and your job is to bolt wheels on, I design that to where you can't bolt the wheel wrong. And if you do, somebody catches it further down the line and it gets corrected. I don't need you to understand how the car works. I just need you to put the damn wheel on the car. That's it. And until such time as I decide to use you somewhere else on the line or move you up into supervisor, all I need you to do is bolt the wheel onto the car. So I design everything. Your shift, when you start, when you leave. I design the tool you use by selecting it, the mechanism by which it acts, and the time you are given for each bolt. And then I put any person in there that's relatively competent, give them an hour of training, and I get the same result. When the car comes to the next place in line, the wheel's bolted on. See? So if I design an educational system that demands conformity... I don't have to tell the system to be upset when there's a nonconformist in it. It will be. Because it's expected, and it doesn't matter what teacher I put into that role, the nonconformist will be a problem. And if I provide a solution, hey, we have a drug for that now, then most teachers and most parents will choose that solution. This is how the whole world works and everything, not just school. And it's why there's so few truly authentic people anymore. Because it's literally beaten out of them. It's beaten out of them physically, verbally, chemically, and systemically. And the only way to fix it is to design your life. Know why you believe what you believe, and know that you might be wrong at the same time. Live never to regret that you are not your one true self. Those are some of the bullet points that we're about to be hitting as we go through this episode. It's what I wanted to end this week of Rewinds with. Because I believe it's the most inspirational thing that I can give you. Because I believe that if you understand that you really can wrest control of your life away from the systems and take it back, that you might. Not that you will, that you might. It's still scary, isn't it? You know what the hardest part of this is? As soon as you commit to it, as soon as you're like, I can do this, and I'm going to do this. You also said something else. Where I am is largely my own doing. Sure, they indoctrinated me, but I let them. Sure, I signed the contract to be in debt for a worthless degree, but I signed it. Sure, fill in the blank, but I fill in the blank. That's the hard part. Here's the good news. The second you do it, it's not hard anymore. It's only hard the first time. And I don't mean the process going forward has no difficulty. No, no, no. I'm talking about the mental impediment of accepting responsibility. You only have to do it once. And then every time you're faced with something that leads back to it, it's easier. It's easier. And it gets to the point where you're like, I fucked that up. Oh, well. I'll fix it. That was stupid. I wish I didn't do it. Oh, well. I can't go back and do anything about it. All I can do is learn from it and not do it again. Oh, I believed their bullshit once before. I won't have Gelman amnesia and ever believe them again. I will not trust. I will verify. And you know what we call that? Being a grown-ass man or a grown-ass woman. Really. 
That's all it is. It's just growing up. It's just growing up. And it's hard for a person to realize, I need to grow up when they're 30. It's really hard to do it when they're 40. It's very hard to do it when you're 50. By the time you're 60, 70, you don't even want, you like, I don't want to do anything any different anymore. And if you haven't done it yet, it's really hard. But you still can. If you can fog a mirror, your job on the planet is not yet finished. It's not finished yet. You still have time. But it is in that that you realize the real mechanism of control. All the different ways we phrased it. Keep people perpetually children. That's it. All the different all the class warfare, all the indebtedness, all of the turning people on each other, all of the indoctrination. If you want to sum it up and get it and drill it down to the most basic level of what it really is. Keep people forever as children. Don't let them grow up. That doesn't mean they don't have jobs, they don't pay their bills, they don't even you know they don't even raise their children. But overall, Keep them as adult adolescents in perpetuity. And why? Why would you do that? Well, the state and the oligarchy, the corporatocracy, see itself as a parent. If you're a parent, think about what happens when you try to tell... Let's say you've got squared away kids. They go up, they get out... They're basically doing what we're about to talk about in their lives. Overall... They are a stable adult. You start telling them what you think they need to do. What do they tell you? Mom, Dad, I love you, but go shut up. I got this. This is my life. I don't need you intruding on it. And how do you feel when that happens? Like, shit, I was just trying to help. Hopefully. If you're not one of those domineering parents that's still trying to tell your kids how to live in their 30s, you just let yourself slip, you phrase it wrong, and it's fine that your kid tells you to butt out. That means you did your job right. And you're probably proud of it if it happens. Like, shit. Look at the boy go! Hell yeah! Good job, son! Might not even tell him that when you... It bruised your ego a little bit, but that's what you're thinking behind the scenes. Probably tell him a little later. Hey, remember when you told me to butt out? Good on you, boy. Good on you, good, good on you, gal. What have you. Like, that's right. That's how you should be. Not the state. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. That's a problem for the state. The state wants you to be a perpetual child forever. A perpetual child forever. So, like, if you're going somewhere and you're taking your kid with you, say, eight-year-old, you probably pack their shit for them. You might even tell them, hey, go pack your suitcase. Hey, get that stuff. You might involve them as part of the learning process, but you're probably going to sit back and go through it and say, hey, let's make sure he's got everything. And you're expecting that a kid would screw that up. They're not capable of fully forming a plan to be on vacation for a week in another state or another country without you. Yeah? So you form a plan for them. Huh? Had you did you just complete the mental circle that we just made? So, if you don't create a plan, then your daddy, your mommy, the state, and the oligarchy think of them as mommy and dad. I don't care which one you assign a role to. They do it for you. They pack your suitcase for you. They decide where you're going, how long you're going to stay there, and what it's going to look like, and how much it's going to cost you. Remember when you were a kid, you went on vacation? They would pretend that you got to say whether you were going one place or another. But what they probably did is did something like, hey, you know, you can either go to this place or this place, and they knew you wanted, maybe you wanted a third option, but they just didn't give you that option. So what they did is they took the one that they knew they were going to do, 
and then they gave you one that you would think was crappy in comparison and took a gamble, but a very minimal one because they knew you. And they said, which one do you want? You said, well, okay, we can do that. Oh, you think you got to participate. You didn't get to participate. You didn't get to participate. And you shouldn't. You should not be making decisions about where you go on vacation. Your input has been taken. We know what you like, and we'll try to consider that. But in the end, mom and dad pay for the vacation. Mom and dad get to decide where you go, how long you go, what kind of hotel you stay in, what kind of rental car you have or you don't have, whether it's a road trip or an airplane ride. They get to decide all that because they pay the bills. Huh. See how that works? So when the government pays for your health care, they get to decide what kind of health care you have, whether or not it's covered, how much it's going to cost you, how often you go to the doctor, what kind of medicine you're going to get. They get to make all those decisions because you didn't form the plan. Today is about breaking free from that. With that, let us go ahead and rewind back March 12, 2015, episode 1,533. Let's get into today's topic. So today's show is called 12 Guideposts to Lifestyle Design. And I was originally going to call it 12 Rules of Lifestyle Design. Now, the problem with that is, like, the central theme here is when a rule doesn't work for you in your life, alter it, change it, go around it, etc., like, Rules are made to be broken, so if I'm going to give you that talk and then call what I'm giving you rules, then I'm specifically telling you to break the rules, which is okay. But it's it's totally okay if you're doing it with full knowledge. Like, I'm not going to follow Jack's rule here because I believe this, this, and this fit my life. That's totally all right. But if I'm going to bring it to you that way, then I shouldn't even bring it to you as a rule in the first place. Because a rule, when it comes from another party, they say, this is my rule. They're saying, this is what you must do. So I don't like that. So instead, what I want to give you is guideposts. That's why the survival podcast prepping philosophy is built on tenets, not rules. It's 12 tenets, 12 concepts. You know, I mean, it makes me think of the work of Richard Bach. In Illusions, the Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah. In this mythical story, there's a, a guy who is like a spiritual guide to the main character. And the guide's name is Donald Shimoda. And Donald, at one time, when he's saying all this brilliant stuff, is sitting in this, this, this wheat field with his buddy Richard, who wrote the book and is a self-titled character in the book. And Richard says to Donald, how do you know all this stuff? And he's like, oh, they give you a book. He goes, really, a book? He goes, yeah. So he tosses them this book. And it, it, it's basically a book with just sayings. And it says, it, a reminder for the law, the, the, or, or reminders for the advanced soul. And he goes, so how does it work? He goes, whenever you have something on your mind, you just open it. And that page will tell you what you need to know about it. And he goes, a magic book. And Donald says, hold on, you can do this with any book. You can do it with a book about Snoopy or whatever, you know. As long as you actually read what it says and think about it, the answer will appear to you if you're ready for the answer. But this book has all these deep sayings in it. And at the end, Donald ends up dead because some psychopath with a shotgun shoots him. And the book ends up on the ground. And when Richard picks it up, it says, everything in this book could be wrong. And that's how I view rules. And that's how I view anything that anybody tells you about how to view your life or what to do with your life. You have to take right off from the beginning with the understanding that everything could be wrong. It turns out the book's not wrong. There's a whole additional uh, 
after story that goes along with this book. And, um, of course, the author got to write that into it, didn't he? But the message is there, that you can't live your life for me. And you can't live your life based on what I say. You can take what I say and apply it to your life. And everything I tell you at all times, but especially today, has to go through that filter. And if it doesn't, then you are acting as me rather than with me as an advisor and teacher in your life. And that's terrible. And you have to now take that and apply that to every teacher, guide, advisor that you ever encounter in your life. And you need to teach this to your six, seven, eight-year-old kid when they go to school and the teacher's saying, this is how things are. Great. Do I believe that? Now, four and four are eight. Sort of. It's what you put on the paper to get your A. But it's the people that question that that brought us things like string theory and quantum mechanics. Four and four are eight. The math is sound, but... When we start to break things down, the math changes and gets interesting. It is always the people that defy the rules that advance society the most. But you still have to understand them. You have to know why you're violating them. And, and strategically decide when and how to violate them. You don't just say, I'm going to break every rule. Because one of the rules might be, don't run out in the street. I'm going to do it. Okay, it is a little bit of natural selection, but... But it would be better for you if you followed that rule. You don't break a rule just because it's a rule. You break a rule strategically where it doesn't make sense. So, okay, I hope that helps you as we move into this. Rule number one, and this one will be no shock to anybody out there that's listening to the show because I've said it many times in the past. Know why you believe what you believe. I am amazed at how many things people believe emphatically to the point where they will argue with you and want to get in a fight over it, but they have no idea why they believe it. This week I talked about Koch brothers, right, and these people on the, the radical left, that everything is their fault, and they buy every election, and like one group, like there's not all these other lobbyists or whatever, and you say to them finally, tell me what they do. Well, they buy elections. Not everybody that's rich buys elections. Duh. No, what does Coke Industries do? They have no idea. Now, if they knew, they might actually have a whole lot more reasons to, to hate that which they hate. They really might. But they don't know. They don't know why they believe what they believe. That's just what the TV says. That's what, just what their NPR radio says. That's just what their liberal propaganda tells them. These guys are bad, so they must be. I'm not saying they're good guys. I'm saying, like, if you're going to think they're bad guys, know why they're bad guys. What do they actually do? Well, they do charter schools. What's a charter school? Uh, it's against public schools. No, it's actually a form of a public school. Did you know that? Uh, no, they're private. No, 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 they're not private schools at all. They're really not. I wish they were, but they're not. Right. So that's just one example. I don't mean to pick on a segment of society there, but most people don't know why they believe what they believe. You know, it, it's well. So-and-so said, or my pastor said, or my teacher said, or this book says. or No. You have to actually, I don't care where the source of the information is. And if you hold the source sacred, then it should stand up to your personal scrutiny. So that's what I think happens is people view the source as such a sacred thing, whether it's religion or ideology or respect for the source. 
And they say, well, if I question it, then I'm questioning the ideology or the religion or the source. Well, if your ideology, religion, or source is right, then it can handle your questioning. And when you question it, it doesn't make sense then it is imperative that you continue down that track until you either validate the information or invalidate the information. Scary. Because all of a sudden, guess what? You're responsible for your own shit. Which is the way it's supposed to be. It's the way that it's supposed to be. I I, I don't quote Ayn Rand very often, but... The quote that springs to mind when I'm having this discussion is as follows. I swear by my life and my love of it that I will never live for the sake of another man, nor ask another man to live for mine. People take that as being a very selfish thing. It's actually a very selfless thing. See, it's very easy to make excuses for why you don't do the shit you're supposed to do by saying, I have responsibilities, or so-and-so said I can't do that. I must think of the greater good, blah, 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 blah. Bullshit. 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 You got it? It's all steaming bullshit. It's all excuses. It's all crap. It's all irrelevant to reality. One more time, it's steaming, stinking bullshit. The only reason you would ever need to live for the sake of another man or follow the authority of others over you is because you're incompetent and incapable of doing good shit without a threat above your head or a, 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 the, a forced hand at your back. If you believe that you are inherently a good individual and a good person, you do not require me to tell you what to do in your life. And I don't want the responsibility of telling you what to do with your life. I will tell you what I do with mine, and I ask that you glean from it that which is best and do better than me. Not only will I not live for your sake, I, I will never ask you to live for mine. How selfless is that? It's back to leaders go first, but come last. If you want to lead You're always the first to strive, but you're the last to put the food on your plate. It's so simple. It's such a wonderful, rich way to live. And the day you decide that I will not believe a damn thing until I validate it for myself and until it makes sense and matches with my individual moral fortitude and my logic and my research and my fact-checking, I will not assimilate it to what I'm going to base my life on just because someone else said it. You are 90% to freedom. That's why it's the first rule. Next one. This is the check. Just like every person that tells you anything might be wrong, you might be wrong. Guidepost 2. Know that you might be wrong. People tell me you think you're always right. No. There's no possible way I could live my life and got where I am thinking I'm always right. If I thought I was always right, I would still be a conservative Republican voting for the lesser of two evils, convinced that's the solution to our problems. Do you know how wrong you have to admit that you were to let go of that? Because that's deep shit programming, folks. 
That's deep programming. And if you make it into your mid-20s, early 30s, with that still programmed in your head, getting to where I am by 40 requires you saying, I'm so wrong, it's stupid scary. And here's the secret. The more intelligent you are, the harder that is to admit. It's a humbling experience. It's a deep amount of humility to go, yeah, I was wrong about that, and that, and that, and that. And as you begin to let go of it all, and you separate from it, and you look back at it, you go, well, that's a, that's not just being wrong, that's a sickness. Living in a society where we would take a person for the possession and or consumption of a plant and kidnap them, hold them hostage, with other people we've kidnapped and hold hostage that have committed violent crimes and subject them to a situation where they might be just bluntly, and cover your kids' ears before I say this, raped in the ass for the possession and consumption of a plant, is a sick society. It is a morally reprehensible, sick society. Think about it. So I had to admit that I was wrong about that. And I have to admit that I could be wrong about everything I think I know now. Because the only way you can keep learning is to believe there's things I have wrong. There's things I have wrong. Because that is the incentive to learn, is it not? There's things I don't know. And if there's anything you don't know, then you could be wrong about what you think you know. It seems circular, but it's not, because it leads to one direction. I need to know more. But here's the problem. And this is almost like a 13th guidepost, right? Like a bonus. You have to make sure you do this. You still have to take action. In spite of the fact you could be wrong and you don't know, you have to do the best you can with what you have. I don't regret any of the actions that I took in my 20s and 30s when I was in that place that I think was wrong now. It was the best I could do with what I had at the time, and I made the most of it. And it led me to where I'm at. I'd not change it. Maybe I wasn't ready for it yet back then. That's all I'm saying. But know that you might be wrong. That is, that is so critical. Because it, it's what leads you to being a lifelong student. It's what leads you to constantly challenge not just others, but yourself. That is what leads to achievement. Then, this one I was just presented with. As I watched one of the keynote speakers at P Permaculture Voices 2, and in this case it was Mark Shepard, he put up a slide that said, the majority of people when they're old, one of their biggest regrets will be that they weren't who they really were during their life. And God, that hit me like a freaking cannonball in the gut. Not because I will ever have that regret. Because I won't. I realized at that moment that for all the good shit in my life, that was probably the biggest blessing that I had. That at some point in my life, I said, F this. I'm going to be who I am, and if you don't like it, kiss my ass. I don't care. And I've tried in working with train. I mean, I got this one a long time ago. Back when I was still in corporate sales. I would do sales training with people. And I would try to explain to them how confident in yourself you have to be to have enough belief in what you're doing to transfer it to others, because that's sales. And I would try this exercise. And you have five, six people in the room. We're all friendly with each other. And I'd say, I want you to stand up. And 
I'd say the words out because it was important. It was about power. And I'd stand up and say, this is what I want you to do. I want, to stand, I want you to stand up and emulate this, but say your own name. I am MFing Jack Spirico, and I don't give an effing shit who doesn't like it. Wow, that's easy. And I'd say you can change the vulgarity if you need to. I, you can. It's okay. You can change it to something else. But it needs to be powerful. And most people couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Because it's so programmed that you need the approval of others. You need the blessing of others. And when faced with that little task, stand up and say it. The fact that one other person might hear it was crippling. In all the years of, of trying to use this as a sales exercise, less than 10% of the people presented with that simple challenge were able to do it. These are professional salespeople that, are, that would come off as being some of the most confident people you ever met. And if you think it's about the vulgarity, like I couldn't think of something else to say, and I didn't want to say it that way, but most of these people were people that had no problem sitting down with a beer and using the F word. Okay, So it wasn't about the vulgarity. It was about the fear of making the statement and understanding what it means. That you're going to be your one true self. Because most people actually know their one true self is something they're not being. And the excuse is conformity. I'll be ostracized. These people won't like me. My parents will think I've lost my mind, whatever it is. Your one true self is your key to happiness. Think about this. How could you ever truly be happy if you're acting in a way inconsistent with your own self? If you are constantly battling that which you know is to right and conforming to that which you believe to be wrong, how can you possibly be happy? How can you possibly do great work? How can you possibly fulfill whatever your destiny for your life is if you're worried about what somebody else thinks about you? I could give a shit what people think about me. I don't care. Man, if you start looking up stuff online, there's all kinds of insults hurled at me. I still have people calling me fat. After losing 90 pounds, I find that amusing. But even when I was fat, I didn't care. I'm like, yeah, I'm fat. I don't care. You know, fat's curable. Stupidity, man, that's tough. It's a lot harder to cure stupidity than fat. I, I don't give a shit. Who's this guy? He's a dick. He's not qualified. Well, whatever. Don't listen to me. Go away. I got my own shit to do. I don't have any time. Don't be a person sitting in your deathbed someday saying, I wish I would have been who I really was in my life. You're not getting the chance back. The day you start doing that, you'll start putting together a lifestyle that makes sense for you. Next, know what you do matters in ways you will never know. There will be people that you talk to, that you will speak a simple truth to, and they will be diametrically opposed to your viewpoint. And you'll think, this person's an idiot. People are not idiots, folks. Okay, fine. There's a few idiots out there. But what we have is most people are behaving like idiots because they've been programmed to behave like an idiot. 
if you brought somebody a robot, a really advanced robot, more advanced than anything we had, and a programmer sat down and programmed that robot to be a moron, you wouldn't blame the robot. You'd blame the program. Because you'd know full well that properly programmed, that robot could function at a much higher level. Well, we're not robots. And we do have the ability that robots don't, and that is to rewrite our own programming. But the programming is still deep, and the programming is still advanced, and the programming still has a major dictate on the way we behave up until such time as we begin the rewrite of the code. Okay? Well, often, you are a co-designer in somebody's eventual life um, viewpoint. You're a co-coder. But there's like this huge team of advanced coders that have poured all this bullshit into a person over the years. And they've given the, the person this illusion of a diametric choice, two directions, a dichotomy, A or B. And once that person took A or B, they began some self-programming through that process. And then because at that moment in time, they had to begin self-programming. You choose Democrat or Republican, you can't just stay completely like asleep. Because sooner or later you're going to go, yes, yes, no. No, yes, yes, no. And it's like binary code that, and the no's are a problem. Because the no's seem to exist on the side you didn't pick. Like, I don't believe this. But then the programmers pour it on. Well, you know what would happen if we let that happen. It would all be like this over here. You don't want that. So the programmers have to keep heaping it on. And then they have to keep adding, like, junk code, okay, into your head. The Kardashians' asses are junk code, right? Reality TV is junk code. So there's a whole bunch of shit that occupies space in your operating system on top of the malware code that they use to keep you asleep. So, when you get a deeply infected system, even if you develop something that can fix it, right, an antivirus, and you put it into that computer, it often takes time to work its way through all this shit and fix everything. And that's what happens. You say something to someone like, you know, it just seems to me that we shouldn't be telling other people how to live as it pertains to a specific issue that they're very, very vested in. And they get all pissy and they walk away. Okay? What happens is you've you've dumped a little bit of correct code, accurate code, antivirus, anti-malware into the system. And now it's to propagate through the system. And sometimes the damage is too bad, or sometimes the system wasn't ready for the upload yet. But often it goes in like a seed, And it begins to propagate and basically reinstall the firmware. And you meet that person ten years later, and they've got this incredible new view of the universe and the world and freedom and liberty and people. And you think, wow, that's great, what happened? And you go, well, ten years ago you said, you think, you didn't listen. I didn't listen at the time, but I heard. And that's probably happening. If you're living a life based on freedom and liberty, that's probably happening every day. You're you're popping new firmware into people. Antiviral, anti-malware shit on a daily basis. Bam, bam, bam. You don't even know it. Guy looks at you and thinks, freaking hippie. 
and then thinks to himself when he gets home that night, that hippie was pretty freaking happy. <laughs> that hippie had a gun. It's not like normal hippies. I don't understand. Yeah. The deprogramming, the decoupling from the matrix has begun. So you need to understand that. Because if you think what you do doesn't matter, then you're subjective to the bullshit. Like, you believe what you do that doesn't matter does. You actually think that going to the polls and voting for an idiot that's going to win or lose anyway matters. And by believing that that's what matters, the whole cascading effect is you start doing all kinds of shit inside your circle of concern versus your circle of influence. But when you know what you do matters, you know that my actions have results. They may not be the direct results I'm expecting, but I'm basically affecting everybody around me in a massive butterfly effect. Then you start wanting your actions to be more meaningful, and you naturally trend toward your circle of influence. You start to focus on what you actually control. And if you do that, all of a sudden, you become very focused. And when something like competes for your attention, without like having to be a hard-ass on yourself, you just immediately go bullshit, and you go back to doing something that matters. Yeah, that's nice, but I got irrigation piping to get in today, man. I, I don't have time for that. I, I just don't care. But, but, I, yeah, that's great. That's nice. I'm glad you're upset about that. Bye-bye now. Tell you what. That has more power to change the mind of others than arguing the opposite side. Just like that's, yeah, whatever. I, I, I got shit to do. I don't care. But people like you are the reason. People like me are the reason that what? The people like you are frustrated. The people like you are upset about shit that we have nothing to do with. That that's what that it's my fault that you're upset about something that you don't control and I don't control and I don't have time for. But why? Understand that, man. What you do matters in ways you'll never know. And it matters in your own life. Every second that you live and take an action or allow a thought into your mind, you're shaping your future and your destiny. Which means you have no time for negativity and bullshit. You don't. You only have time to figure out how to make things happen the way you want them to happen. That's it. And the people that you look at and go, wow, how do they get so much done? I people all the time, how'd you do so much by 40? Well, I didn't do all the shit that didn't matter. And I didn't even do that well. I just worried a lot less than most of the people around me about shit that didn't matter. You still take time for things that are fun. Some of you are like, I don't understand why you like football, Jack. I mean, it's, it's stupid. It's not real. It's a game. But in my view, it's actually more real than most of life because two people come out or two teams come out with pre-agreed upon rules in a pre-agreed upon way and compete, and there's a winner and a loser, so that's kind of real. But it doesn't really affect me when my Steelers win or lose. But it's my entertainment. It's my recreation. But, you know, I'm not sitting around right now going, who are they going to draft? I don't know. It comes back on. I just found out Brett Kiesel's gone. And I'm like, oh, that sucks, man. Because the guy, why am I upset about that? Because he was a great player? No. I mean, a little bit. But really, the reason is because he was a class act. He was a great human being. I, I loved what he did for humanity as a stealer versus that just he was a stealer. It was awesome. And the class act and the, the grin on his face as he cleaned out his locker room after he was released. 
saying he was grateful for the opportunity to be here for so many years. So I'll miss him and through that affiliation, right? But I don't really, I mean, that's not going to like decide whether or not I get, sh- I get show done today. So you really have to realize that since what you do matters, what you do has to be put to work for your own benefit. Do you hear that? For your own benefit. And people think that's selfish. No, it's selfless. It's selfless. Because you've been lied to and misprogrammed to believe that truly selfless people always worry about what other people are going to do and the benefit to other people. The most wonderful contribution you can make to our world as your first major contribution, is to not need other people to live your life your way. To not be a burden on anybody. And the day you do that, all of a sudden, then you can just, like, you have this, like, tremendous abundance to be able to help other people with. So you got to do it for yourself first. Selfish is to say, I would do this, but I can't because, you know, it'll upset him. Or I, I would do this, but I can't because it might imbalance the, the price of sugar in, say, what, nail or whatever. You don't have time for that. What you do matters in ways you will never know. And what you do right now matters for your own future in ways you won't even remember that I made this decision, I made this choice, and it led to good or bad. So always be conscious of what you're doing. And if you find yourself doing something, and it's not leading in the direction you want to go, I know this sounds simple, stop doing it. But you know how many people won't, refuse to, come up with a million excuses? Don't be that person. Next, this is so simple, but so many people don't do it. Know your destination and then chart your course. Most people don't do that. They just kind of go along to get along. I want a better job, so I'll send out a resume. What is the better job for? More money. Uh, Do you have debt right now? Yeah. So is this job so you can make more money to pay off that debt, or is this job so you can make more money and continue to live the way you are? Because if you're doing that, what you're going to get is more debt. Trust me, I've been there. Most people chart what I call the imaginary course to retirement. Because it's imaginary. It's going to be wonderful, but I don't know what it's going to be like. Financial advisor says I'm on the right track, even though he's operating on about four weeks of relationship sales training, doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground, but I'll choose to believe that it's going to work out because it's much more comfortable to believe that. I'll sit in a meeting when they come in and talk about my 401k and retiring at 68 or 70 and how I'll be a millionaire then if the stock market continues to do what it's always, well, sort of done. And I'll believe that, too, because it's a wonderful fiction. And I'll nod my head like a dumbass cow when they say 68 or 70 and not be horrified that I might still have to be working for another person at that age that I will be so impoverished in my life that I will still be a slave to a wage at 68 or 70. And that my hope is that I'll figure out a way to live on a poverty income that is Social Security, if it still exists by then. Delusional fantasies. A mass hallucination. A mass hallucination in affecting modern Americans. Because... They're devaluing the money 
at a rate that's going to make it no matter what they give you. If you have the Social Security today, it will buy, you know, if you inflation adjust it and what have you to where it's going to be then, it won't buy you tomorrow what it would buy you today. The number's irrelevant. person in 1955 could live relatively okay on Social Security. People today on Social Security are in a poverty level. But, oh, we've given them raises, right? We raises to giving you your own money back that they stole from you in the first place. This is not a plan. If your plan is to retire at 70, I think your plan's effed up unless you're 60 and still working. And, you know, at that point, then maybe you have to do this. And if you're not 60 and still working and, and you're looking at those people and feeling bad for them, realize that unless you come up with a plan to not be there when you're 60, you will be. You will be one day. See, every day. Something happens that's it's really phenomenal and amazing when you think about it. Planes and tr uh, trucks and ships leave their point of departure, travel a very intricate and interesting and complex series of navigational requirements, and then end up where they're supposed to be. Ship leaves Tokyo, ends up in San Francisco. Plane leaves Tallahassee, ends up in Seattle. Now, the only reason that's the case is that the person flying the plane or captaining the ship says to themselves, I am going to take this ship from Tokyo to San Francisco. Evaluates the course, determines the speed of the ship, determines uh, the course of the waters, the weather around them, and says, I am going to make a plan to get to San Francisco, and I'm going to have redundancies in the plan, so if this storm that looks like it's going to go to the north comes to the south, I have a way around that. If that happens, I know how long that's going to take. Here's how I might make up that time, or if I'm not going to make it there on time, I'm going to radio in and say, hey, Harbor Master, I'm going to be eight hours late because this storm came in and I had to adjust for it. Harbor Master is okay, and the ship gets there, and not only does the ship arrive, that the ship is ready to be received because it was planned. Now, what would you think of the captain Tokyo that says, I'm going to take the ship to San Francisco, and he said, how are you going to get there? And he pointed you know, east and said, well, it's that way. I'm going to sail that way. And then when I get to land, I'm going to try to figure out where I'm at. And then I'm going to head up or down based on where I think I'm at. And hopefully I'll be right. If I'm wrong, sooner or later, I'll, it'll start to get really freaking cold or really freaking hot. And I'll know I got it wrong. So I'll flip around and go back the other way. And I'll look for something that looks like San Francisco. And when I get there, I'll just pull this big-ass ship in. You take a whole dude, they need to pull your freaking captain's license. You're an idiot. I don't want you captaining a ship. And here's the big thing, right? <laughs> Imagine you were in Tokyo, right? And you want to get to San Francisco. And somebody told you that ship down there is going to San Francisco. And for free, the captain will let you get on the ship and give you a cabin. Hang out in. You know, you can just eat food on there. You can just basically go for free. Would you get on that ship? Would you, would you be like, oh, you know what, that sounds swell. That sounds like a great idea. I have full confidence in your ability to not kill us all, to not run us aground, to not take us to some country where they're going to seize the ship as being an invading ship, to actually know your ass from a hole in the ground, and to know north from south on the open ocean. Yeah, I, I have total confidence in that. Let me risk my life, get on this ship, and I'll even help you 
uh, as a deckhand? Or would you say, you know what, first-class airfare might be expensive, but at least the pilot knows where the F San Francisco is and has a plan to get there. Which one, which one would you do? The one that's easy, get on the boat, hang out, smoke dope, whatever, right? What's dope smoking? Because the captain's talking like that's got to be smoking dope, right? Uh, and hanging out on the deck and just kind of going along and hoping it works out. Or do the hard, and like you only had two choices, right? Or, you know, scrape up all the money you have and buy the plane ticket. And by the way, you need to get to San Francisco. You're, you're going to go there one way or the other. Either you're going to go on the plane, you're going to go on the boat, or somebody's going to throw you in the water and make you swim. Those are your three choices. Well, you, you'd probably do whatever it took to pay for the last seat in the first class cabin, and you'd get to San Francisco a hell of a lot faster, even if the dope-smoking boat captain lucked into everything and ended up with a straight course to San Francisco because, first of all, the plane's faster, and second of all, second of all, once he gets there, nobody's even aware that he's supposed to be there, and they're going to go through a whole bunch of bullshit to figure out how to let him come in, and they might even tell them, you failed to follow procedure, you can't come here, go somewhere else. Those of you living your life with no clear destination in mind are the dope-smoking boat captain, ship captain. That's you. You're willingly traveling with a dope-smoking hippie boat captain that doesn't know a sextant from his ass with no plan on how to get there that's just heading east and hoping he sees the city, you know, the cityscape of San Francisco at some point. And just like the dope-smoking captain, a few of you will get there. But it'll take a long-ass time. And you may not be ready for it when you do. Or a tsunami may come along, push the boat to San Francisco really, really fast, run it aground, and you'll get there and not know what the hell you're supposed to do with yourself because you didn't have a plan to get there that fast. It's called early retirement forced upon you by a company that doesn't want to pay for you for the rest of their life. So know your destination and chart your course, or else you're traveling the ocean with a dope-smoking captain that has no idea where he's going. Next one. We sort of talked about this at the beginning, but break rules smartly and effectively. Earlier this week, I talked about the interactive edge. <clears throat> and what I mean by interactive edge in that standpoint is, as, as a person that personally identifies myself as an anarchist, I, I am opposed to many of the laws and rules of, of, of society. And I break lots of rules all the time. But I do so smartly and effectively, either by technically obeying the law and getting around the intent. You know, one example would be if they tell you you can't sell milk uh, and you say, okay, fine, I'm selling it as pet food. And they say, well, you can't do that either because up until very recently, West Virginia had this law. They say, well, you, you, so here's how people have smartly and effectively gotten around the raw milk thing. So they say, you can't do raw milk. You have to inject your cows with uh, growth hormone and do all these horrible things and pasteurize and destroy the, the entire nutritional quality of the milk. And raw milk's evil. It's the devil. And people are, well, we've been drinking that for 10,000 years, so screw off. Uh, we're going to do it anyway. And well, we'll put you in jail for it. Okay, I don't want to go to jail. And since society's suffering from a mass delusion, uh, and I still don't want to comply with it, what I'll do is I know they still said I'm allowed to drink my milk from my own cow. But I don't have a cow. So what I'll do is I'll get together with some people. Because one cow produces way more milk than one family needs. And we'll find a farmer, and we'll collectively buy the cow. We'll do a milk share. 
And then the farmer will milk the cow for us. We'll pay him a, 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 a fee, a cow maintenance fee. And uh, we'll get the milk and split it from our cow. Since it's our cow and we all have a share in the cow, we're, and, and some states said, we think that is also evil. And again, West Virginia had this law. Thou shalt not have a cow unless thou hast thy cow in thy possession, and thou shalt possess thy cow solely as thy single cow. Okay. I, I know. What we'll do is uh, we'll find farmers and we'll say that our dogs and cats like to drink cow milk. Right? And 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 they'll say, uh, okay, so it's like we buy the milk for our dogs and cats. And they say, uh, let me check. Uh, the government says that that's, that's pet food. It doesn't have any of these other laws. Yeah, so they start selling the milk. For dog and cat food, right? And the government says, Thou shalt not sell thy raw milk to thy catteth or thy doggeth. And everybody says, Screw it and quit. You know what Jack Spirico says? Fine, fine, fine. Here's what we'll do. The raw milk is for the amendment of soil. And we'll put that right on the label. And then we'll put on the label to appease the statist. To use this manner... To use this product in a manner inconsistent with its labeling is a violation of state and federal law for amending soil only. So high quality that if it was legal, you could drink it, but you can't. And eventually states like West Virginia, like they just did say, screw it, drink your milk. Because you won't go away. You won't stop. They're thinking, are we going to really pass a law that says you can't buy milk to spray it on the dirt? Now, they know why you're doing it, but they've backed you into a corner to a point where you're just like, I'm not going to fight you directly. I'm not going to oppose you with force. You're going to use force, and I'm going to use passive resistance. And if you continue to aggress on me with force... I am going to use passive resistance so effectively that eventually I'm going to make you look so stupid that the public will turn on you with their opinion. And since you need their votes and you need their conformity, and since you yourself are a conformist that actually cares what other people think about you, I am the superior, I am the superior warrior here. I don't give a shit what people think about me. I don't care. You do. I don't need the blessing of others. You do. I don't care if people think I'm an idiot. You do, you you really shouldn't care because most people do think you're an idiot, but you think they think you're smart, and that's important to you. So I have superior weaponry as long as I focus on the tactic versus the force. The state does not comprehend this. The state only knows force. Understand that. If you don't, we will. Now, the response is either I shall comply in their mind or I will push back. And if you push back, there's two ways to do it through their system, all right, which they don't give a shit about because it's, it's like you're demanding to sit down and play poker at a table where the game is rigged and you're never going to win, right? And they might let occasionally a mark win a hand or two. So that all the other marks don't figure it out. Or you resist with force. I'm going to get my cows. I'm going to get my guns. I'm going to surround my cows with guns. 
and I'm going to sell raw milk. There's nothing you can do about it. They don't mind you doing that either. Because then they say, look at this crazy whack job. We have to stop them. And they send the guys in with other guns. And they put it in your face and they arrest you and take you away. This is not effective. This is not smart. This is not strategic. This is not how you break the rules. You must break the rules the way a martial artist defeats his enemy when his enemy is physically stronger than him. The redirection of energy. And you choose which rules to break. You must pay your income tax. Fine, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't do things like give a lot of my money to charity to create deductions. It doesn't mean I won't create my own businesses and take their own tax code and read it. But in the end, I'm going to pay a shitload of taxes. And for now, that's what I have to do. Right? I have to. And you have to, too. Don't be like Peter Schiff's dad and end up in jail. Because you can't fight the revolution from a jail cell. It doesn't work. So there's places where you just do what you have to do. You do the minimum necessary to comply. And everywhere else, if the rule doesn't make sense, you break it. And you do this every day. Again, every time you drive 61 in a 55, you're breaking the rule strategically. I'm staying out of speed. It's going to get me there a little faster. It's a little bit more reasonable. It's what everybody else is doing. The cops are probably not going to write a ticket. If they do, it's not that big of a fine. I don't really give a shit. I'm on my, I'm on my way. Right? It, it, it's selective. They do selective enforcement, so you do selective obedience. Right? And you also don't break a rule just because it's a rule. Again, it's a rule. Thou shall not cross the street against the light when traffic is driving fast and you know, going to run you over and kill you. So you know you don't do you don't do that. You don't say, "Damn the rules, I shall." That's not good. But when you're sitting there and the sign says, "Do not walk," and you can see for 150 yards in all four directions, and it's dead quiet in the middle of the night, so you could hear if there was any traffic. You probably jaywalk. That's strategic, smart, effective defiance of the rules. To my benefit, I got where I was going quicker. I put myself in no real danger. The consequence for being caught, if you want to call it that, was insignificant. And if we just applied that, see, that's like normal people do that. Don't walk, screw off. Right? There's no traffic. There's no cars. This, this is, I understand the rule. And I understand how it's designed to keep me from being run over, causing harm to others. But in this case, it's stupid because it doesn't apply. I'm thinking for myself. If we apply that to other areas of our lives, it's amazing how much we can nullify. I love the work like the Tenth Amendment Center and Michael Bolin are doing. I love the nullification process. I think it's great. Anything that tears away tyranny and power from those in control, I love But the greatest nullification we could do is in our own lives. Because I don't have to get people on board with it. I just do it myself. And if I do it well, other people show up, partake in it. The next one is kind of on that thinking. Look for opportunities in every obstacle. So think about this. We never really went through with it because West Virginia changed the law before we were really ready to sell raw milk. So now we have ways we could do it if we want to at the farm in, in West Virginia. Um, but had we... Had we gone through with it, had we labeled the product for the use as a soil amendment only and started selling it as a soil amendment, and had the government went, uh, I, uh, what, I, what, I, what do we do? They sat there on their hands with their hands on their ass, going, I don't, I don't know how we, we can we pass a law, I, and like, okay, so they got, they have to then, right? They have to then 
go through their legislative process, which can take years. Even to do something they all want to do takes them years because they're all fighting with each other all the time, and they all give a shit what people think about them. So let's say for two years, it took them two years to figure out how can we pass a law that shuts this down um, in a way where we don't look so stupid that it's going to hurt us. Good luck with it, by the way. But let's say they did it. So for two years, you're able to sell raw milk from your little farmstead in a state where they say you can't. Do you know how many people you're going to get as customers? Do you know how many people you're going to get as supporters? When they do shut you down, at that point you say, okay. Let me go back to the drawing board and see if I can figure out another way. To, but you don't keep doing it. But you know what happens? How much notoriety have you gained? How much loyalty from your customers have you gained? The people you can no longer provide the raw milk to, how quick are they going to go to be to go, you know what? This is bullshit. Let, let us go fight your battle for you in, in, in the legal system and see what we can do. In the meantime, what else can we buy from you? You see, when you're the one person or one group that can get around something that shouldn't be there in the first place, it's a tremendous advantage. Do you know how many people that grew pot in their, their closet went broke in California when California passed medical marijuana? Shit, what do I do with my skunkweed now? No one wants this crap. They go out and get a car that gets professionally grown stuff. See, it was, it was the guy that figured out how to grow the pot when the pot was illegal that profited from it. Probably is the case, though, that he was too stoned to figure out how to capitalize on the income and do something more constructive with it, right? Or was ready to build a supply farm when it became legal, right? Didn't have a plan. Like... You know, if you were actually paying attention instead of getting baked off your own stuff and you were looking at the environment in California or Washington, you'd think, man, I have a lot of customers. Public opinion is with me on this. This is a liberal state. They're going to be the first to go in this type of an issue. This is going to be legal someday. I need to have a plan how to take this to legal status, and I need to have a war chest of my profits so that when it happens... I can go legitimate quick, and I need to build my skill set and my knowledge base so that when this becomes legal, I can be a top supplier right away. Again, people that are baked generally don't think that way. And, but I'll bet you some of the people today that are in that business, that are making millions of dollars capitalizing on the new opportunity, did come up through the black market, if you want to call it that, and did just that. You know, They got baked every Friday night or whatever, and they went on about their business. And I know that some of you are going to write, it's not just for getting baked, there's medicinal use. I absolutely believe there are medicinal uses for marijuana. I also absolutely believe that the majority of people that smoke marijuana do so to get baked. Okay, I think you can have both of those be true at the same time, because I think for myself, right? I don't, I don't have to pick one side of that debate. I think there are people that are in cancer treatment that can't eat, that are living the last couple months of their life, that smoking a joint will let them eat and have some peace and solitude in their end stage of their life. And I think anybody that would prevent that is a sick, twisted, psychopathic, a person that's acting like a sick, twisted, psychopathic individual, due to, mostly due to malware programming. What is wrong with you? But if we let that person, then Joe will go over here and get baked. You know what? Joe getting baked is totally worth that guy being able to consume his food. 
As long as, but Joe might steal my TV set, then he can be prosecuted for stealing your TV set. Because that actually affects you. Right? So, break rules smartly and effectively. It's probably the most important one I've given you today. Because you are going to, if you are going to make a difference in the world, you're going to eventually find something you're going to go, this is my thing. This is my cause. This is what's going to drive me. Education of people, the you know, local food movement, uh, consulting with other people, helping people do X, Y, or Z, right? And the first thing you'll realize is, I need money. I, I can't do this without money. And if I don't need direct money, I need indirect money. I need resources. I need opportunity. I need enough freedom in my life to put the sweat equity in so that money will come out the other end eventually, right? One way or another, I need money. Now, if you're a typical conformist, you will use that as an excuse as to why you can't get it done. But if you're an action-oriented individual, you will solve the money problem some way so quick, it might even be scary to you that you did it. And you might end up with more money than you ever had. I'm just saying, but one way or another, you'll solve the money problem. You'll find an investor. You'll find a group of investors. You'll find an angel investor. You'll find a way that you can make the same money you do now in a different type of environment where you have the freedom on the other side to work on this other thing. One way or another, you will skin the money problem. And the next problem that you will run into every time when you want to make a real difference in the world will be rules, and the rules will be attached to something called government. And government exists in many forms, from tiny little HOAs to great big giant federal corporatocracy bureaucracies. And one way or another, you're going to run into these people with these rules. And if you cannot strategically, smartly, and effectively break those rules and see the opportunities that exist because those rules exist, you will get shut down. Or you will shut yourself down. You'll say, this was too hard. You keep coming at it from different, I can't do that. Okay, then I'm going to go do this. I can't do that. I'm going to do this. The square peg doesn't fit in the round hole. Let me get the wood laid out. Now it's around. Boom, right through there. Uh, it's not quite small enough yet. Put it back on the lathe. F you, buddy. Let me get my sledgehammer. Whack! Now the round peg's in your ass. Tough crap. We're moving on with life. By the way, I've just sold a whole bunch of tickets for people to come laugh at you with that peg in your ass, which is furthering my objective. Bye-bye now. That has to be the mentality. I will break the rules strategically and smartly, and I will see opportunities in every obstacle you put in my way. I'll do it passively. <laughs> Active passive resistance, I guess, is the way to talk about it. Next, never confuse education with school. It's the biggest thing screwing us up right now. If you didn't spend sixty, eighty, ninety thousand dollars on an education that's not really an education, you might have spent the money doing something useful with it. Most people don't, I wish I could have a farm. I got sixty thousand dollars worth of student loan debt. Well, maybe you should have went intern for three years, filed Schedule F for three years, learned how to farm, and then took out a $60,000 loan to buy a farm with. <laughs> I, I mean, just seriously. Like, how stupid is that? You could have got paid, yes, a tawdry salary, but paid to work for three years. You could have began to create your own little income stream doing so. You could have gotten the paperwork necessary during that time. You could have used the paperwork to file other paperwork to get other people's money to buy the farm that you want. And while I'm not in love with debt, I'd rather you have $60,000 of debt on a piece of real estate than $60,000 worth of debt on an education that, well, 
Is it? Now, again, if you're going to be an engineer, please go to college. Please. Please. If you're going to design bridges that I'm going to drive my car over, I'd really like you to get the math right. Really, really would. If you're going to put in a dam somewhere that if it breaks, it's going to kill a million people, I want you in that type of an educational system because it is the best thing we have at teaching people how to do it. But most of what human beings do does not require that type of an education. And in fact, that type of an education is detrimental to your success in them. Doctor, yeah, if you're going to cut me open, please, please go to medical school first. I really, really want you to. I'm not being, I'm not being sarcastic at all here. I know sometimes it's hard to tell with me, but no, seriously, if you're going to cut me open and operate on my heart, I want you to have that type of a regimented education because it's that type of a regimented profession. And that's what we need. That's what we need for that. I don't want you sawing into my skull. With not only a, a, a degree in medicine and a couple years of internship, but working with a surgeon who's done it a few times before you saw into mine. That makes sense. But most of what we want to do doesn't require school at all. It does require an education. So never confuse the two. Constantly educate yourself. Next, develop income streams independent of employment. I don't care what you do to create a part-time income, but create one. I don't care if it's 100 bucks a month of positive income. Right? If you're spending 200 to get 100 that's a negative income flow. Right, a net gain in income, and it can be creative income. If you run a business that makes you ten thousand dollars a year, uh, but costs you twenty, but it really doesn't, like it creates all these deductions because you pay for these certain things through the business that you would have had to pay for anyway, and you do this ironclad with the advice of a tax attorney and a CPA. And it creates a $10,000 deduction, and that reduces the amount of tax that you give to Uncle Scam by $3,000. Then your business was a profit of $3,000. And if you do it that way long enough, son of a gun, you'll probably figure out how to make it actually profitable. right? And you'll learn so much about the structure and operations of a business by doing that. You'll probably accidentally make money. I mean, if you, if you, if you tried to build a business like that, I want to have at least $10,000 in revenue. I want to be able to put at least $20,000 in expenses against the revenue. I want to create this $3,000 deduction. You're probably going to end up with a hell of a lot more revenue unless you specifically turn down business. Because the business has to operate at a specific type of efficiency. So it may very well be the case that it becomes a tax deduction, a tax write off, not a loophole. It's not a loophole. Loophole is what billionaires create for themselves because they write the legislation into Congress. That's a loophole. You operating a business for profit and failing to yield a profit based on the expenses the business incurs is not a loophole. It's a deduction. It's a financial loss. Right? It's Schedule C. They, they created the framework for you to use. But... It's designed that way because it's reasonable evil business its first year in operation might lose money. Might lose money. 
might have to lose money for a while before it starts to make money. Especially if you're doing it part-time. So, never confuse your education with schooling. Develop those income streams, independent of employment. Because someday, you might have to. So you should do it now. So, the next one is stay true to your moral principles, but understand reality. One of the reasons that we are such a miserable people in the modern era isn't just because we're chained with debt, isn't just because we have the government telling us what we can't do at every every turn. Mostly it's because we live in direct conflict with what we believe to be morally correct. When you talk about anarchy, well, you have to believe that human beings are decent and moral and reasonably... I do. Because you can pass all the laws you want. If people weren't, they'd all be killing each other. People don't... People don't do good shit just out of fear of what happens if you do bad shit. Right? The, the, the guy walking down the street that sees a homeless person shivering and realizes, okay, this isn't some guy running a scam. This is a guy that's, I, I can't fix this problem. I don't, but goes back to his car, pulls out a wool blanket, goes over to the guy, puts it on him, and then goes walking on his way. He didn't do that because God said he was supposed to. He didn't do that because the state said he was supposed to. He did it because as a human being, he saw another per- person in need and said, I can't do everything, but I can do this. If, if humans didn't want moral framework, they wouldn't have created government to harness it. It's just as a species, we're evolving to a point where we're rapidly losing the need for other people to make us do shit. We're seeing the reality for what it is. But in this apparatus that we've created, there's so many times we look at something and go, that's just wrong. And when you try to fix it, you're not allowed to. We all have our individual issues, too. You know, Curtis Stone, who's really kind of an expert on spin farming, when he was doing his presentation at PB2, and you know, you got a big mix in permaculture, and a lot of people that are of the uber-left mindset that, you know, carbon is evil and what have you, and, and I guess Curtis comes from that background at some point. Um, you know, said, take your ideology and keep it true to yourself, but also put it in your back pocket. In other words, when he started, he did everything on a bicycle. All his deliveries, he went to his different farms, and he still uses a bicycle because, well, it's good exercise, it's fun, it's convenient, and it works. But when he's delivering a whole shitload of stuff to a restaurant across town, he uses a little fuel-efficient truck. He used to double-dig all of his beds by hand, and now he has a little little like hand-walk-behind tractor that does tilling and forms beds and stuff like that. Because even though his ideology is, I'd like to do this manually, it doesn't work for the goal, which is to make enough living farming in other people's backyards to support a lifestyle that's fulfilling. So that's not compromising a moral principle, that's an acceptance of reality. This is how this stuff works. So I might think it's morally reprehensible that people will be arrested for the possession of a plant in my state of Texas. That you can go to, and if you have enough of it, you can go to state prison. Because it's an intent to sell because you had a lot of it. Which, if you, if you think, well, that makes sense. No, it doesn't. That's like the IRS saying, well, you were going to do something bad with this money because you had so much of it in cash. Same thing. 
Why do, why do you have $100,000 in cash, Mr. Smith? Well, because I don't trust banks and I wanted my money. Yeah, we don't think so. Something's wrong with that. That, that just doesn't seem right. Or why, why, do you, why do you have 5,000 rounds of ammunition, Mr. Mr. Wilson? Because uh, it's 22 ammo and it's really, really cheap and sometimes it gets really expensive, so I bought it so that I'd have it. No, no, you must be planning something, right? <laughs> why do you have four ounces of pot, Mr. Stoner? Uh Because I like to get high? No, no, you must have been planning to sell it. Nobody smokes that much. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So I might think it's morally reprehensible. I don't give a shit if Mr. Stoner sells his pot. I really don't. But I might find it, like, you know, no matter what, I find it reprehensible that we would take Mr. Stoner against his will with the use of force, put him in a cage with people that have committed violent crimes, And then Mr. Stoner might be sexually abused or beaten or worse because we decided we don't want him to have a plant. I find it sick and morally reprehensible as a society. But I'm not leading a revolution to go break Mr. Stoner out of prison because it flies in the face of reality. All I can do is speak the truth as I see it. We are sick people for doing this. And hope that it plants enough seeds and enough people, even people that go pot, it's like bad stuff, man. I don't want my kids doing it. I don't want it. I don't want anywhere near me to still go. Yeah, I feel like that about a lot of things, but I don't want to put somebody into a prison cell. I don't want to destroy somebody's life. I don't want to incarcerate somebody because they chose to engage in that behavior. Just like there's many other behaviors. Now think about this. How many behaviors are there that you feel that way about? That if somebody tried to say, you know what we should do now? We should pass a law that says people can't do that anymore. I mean, you were sitting there and you, like, a, um, somebody like a preacher was saying, this is terrible, this is horrible. Preach on, preacher man, right? Yeah, this is horrible. We should make sure nobody does this. Absolutely. Hallelujah. So we should pass a law. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Society has had this behavior be legal for hundreds of years in this country, and I don't like it, but I don't want the government getting involved in that. I want to make the moral case, the logical case, you shouldn't do that. But if the law already exists, because if you're programming, it must somehow be worse than all these other things Really? And sooner or later you run into the the wall of that. That, wait a minute, this flies in the face of what I believe. This government that I support takes my money, builds weapons with it, fights the war on terror, and in doing so they kill innocent people. I'm not okay with that. So the natural response would be, well, then I, I really shouldn't pay my taxes. I don't want to go to jail no more. So I have to stay true to my moral principles, but I have to understand the reality. So I have to at least say, I think that's wrong, and I don't think that should be done. And this money's being, I have to say it. Even though people don't like to hear it, I feel this money is stolen from me. I do not sanction what's being done with it. If I had the choice, I would abstain from giving it to them. Not because I want to keep all my money, because I don't like what they're doing with it. I am no more participatory with the evil shit my government does with the money they steal from me than I am in league with the robber 
who points a gun at me in the street, takes my money, and goes out and buys a bigger gun and shooting someone with it. You wouldn't say to me, hey, you know what? That was your money that paid for the shotgun. Did he use me broken that house kill that family? You'd say they're victims and you're victims of the same psychopath. Okay? So the only way I can stay true to my moral principles is to be vocal about the fact that I feel that the money stolen from me is being used for reprehensible, immoral purposes. And it, I, do, I give my money because the gun's pointed at me, but I do not give the consent, implied or otherwise, to the actions of those who take it. And I do not give my consent, implied or otherwise, for them to take your money against your will and do things you find morally reprehensible with it, even if we disagree on what is morally reprehensible. There are maybe things that the government does with our money that I go, I prefer government not to be in that business. But I, I don't find the action itself morally reprehensible. And you may say, I do. Well, say so. Say so. The minute we can convince the majority of people that tax actually is theft, especially tax on property and income, you'll see the tax system dissolved. Not that it's a necessary evil, that it's what it is. It's theft. It's the taking of your property against your will to be utilized for things that you find morally reprehensible. That's my moral principle. So I live my life based on it. And I refuse to contribute. I refuse to contribute. You must take it from me. You've set up a wonderful system of theft. One I can't avoid. But I'll fight you. I'll fight you on every level. You stole my money, you're going to kill somebody with it. I'm going to tell a person next to me, do you know they're doing that with your money too? Yeah, your, your, your Peace Prize winning president bombed a wedding. Did you know that? Don't believe me? Go, go Google it. Go find out. I'm not going to be your good little freaking drone. Just because I've, I have pledged to only use force to resist force does not mean I am now required to submit to force or to not resist force by other means. I will resist you at every layer that I can, and I will put every bit of that effort into building my life my way to demonstrate that it works. I am your worst enemy because I will not fight you. <laughs> Think about that. To those in authority, I am your worst enemy because I refuse to fight you. I simply choose to outsmart you and outwit you and tell others about you. The people in authority would love us to charge out into a field underneath their own flag, pretending that we are the revolutionaries of 1775 because they could smite us with the back of their hand with the littlest of effort and claim to have saved the masses from the raging anarchistic hordes. What's frustrating is that we refuse to do that. We're busy building businesses and families and lives. The anarchist of today uh, has family portraits that look like they just left church. 
They don't understand this. They're incapable of comprehending this. They can't get it through their freaking skulls. They don't understand it. Does it doesn't compute? We've given them three paths. We've given them A and B and B participatory in one or the other, and we've given them you know the option of full on resistance and fighting back, where we can crush them like the vermin we think they are, and they won't do any of those. What is wrong with these people? Somebody should explain to them that's the problem. We are people. And unlike most people, we know that we are people. And we know that you are people and that they are people too. We know that we have common things that we all want in our lives. And we have mutual respect for those even who we vehemently disagree with. And those moral principles are intrinsic to humanity. I bet you no matter how hard you're trying to resist the words I'm speaking at this point in the show, something inside of you is going, you know what, that's that's freaking true, man. That's true. I don't want somebody doing something with, with my energy, my time, my talent, my money that I find morally reprehensible. And I bet this guy over here who's so different than me feels the exact same way about that. And why should someone be able to use his time, talent, energy, and property to do something he is vehemently opposed to any more than me. Even if we want different things, why shouldn't he be able to work for what he wants? I work for what I want. And in time, whoever's doing the better thing will be proven right. And maybe we'll both find that the truth is somewhere between us. Or maybe I'll find out that I'm wrong and he's right. Or maybe he'll find out that he's wrong and I'm right. And, and maybe if that's true, I, I'm more concerned about what's really right and what's really best than my personal ego. But in the end, you have to take that whole psychological revelation and say, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can with what I have and be at peace with it because I have shit to accomplish. And being stupid about it, either in, the, in a form that gets me broke or arrested, or anything else negative, does not allow me to accomplish my goals. It's not about compromising your principles. It's about staying true to them, but accepting the reality on the ground. The next thing is, realize the only person that you actually control is you. And I believe that is by design. I don't believe human beings are meant to be controlled by other human beings. That's why we resist it intrinsically. Try it with a kid. Try it with a kid. Find a kid engaged in an activity and then tell him he has to do what he was already doing. Watch how quick he goes, no, I, I'm not doing that. Now, that's a childish behavior, right? Because you should just say, that's nice that you think I should do that, and it's nice that you think I'm doing it because you said so, but I'm just gonna, I don't have time for you to go away, right? That takes a certain amount of maturity, right? To, and then to not even verbalize it, to just to pretend that the, the person giving you the supposed edict doesn't even exist. And let them believe they're in control. That's, that's, that's maturity. That's emotional, spiritual, humanic maturity. Right? But the child shows the intrinsic resistance to authority. They're having a blast doing something. They're told they have to do it. Like, nah, I'm not doing it. And you say that's, and, and the, you know, the, the devout religious among us would say, that's the streak of rebellion. That is the evil that must be suppressed with some greater moral code. 
Or what if you went up to the kid already engaged in that and said, can I play too? What happens then? Sure. Got any other friends? Let's all do this. If it's a pleasing activity. So we are designed to work together, but we are specifically programmed to not be controlled by each other. We are a social creature, but we are not designed to be a social hierarchy. We are not insects. We are not bees. We are not ants. We can learn from them, but we're not bees and ants. A bee that stings dies, but if the command is given sting, no thought is given to whether or not the threat is real. The pheromone says to do it. I've got a stinger. I'm in contact with what, something that seems like what I'm supposed to sting, and I'm dead. Maybe we shouldn't act like that. Maybe if you say attack, I should say, hold, hold on a minute. Who am I attacking and why? And in designing my life, maybe I should say, listen, the fact is that I'm not supposed to control others. And any belief that I do is only an illusion. Beating my brother or brother-in-law up about an environmental or social issue for four hours where he eventually says, yeah, you've made a good point. He probably is just tired of my mouth and wants me to shut up and go away. That four hours could have been invested into something like, I don't know, making money. Or getting closer to my, my goals. Or loving my wife. Loving my children. Embracing my family. Doing good shit for myself and the world. Because I know full well, even if I've totally convinced him that I'm right, if he plucks a different lever next time around, it's not going to make a mouse fart of difference to the wind. You, it, it's not even a piss trickle. It's the final drip when you shake it off. That's all you're doing in these things. When, you, when you're focusing on anybody else. It, 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 it's, it's, it's inconscionable that we are going to live in a world where we can directly change things by forcing change upon others. We can influence others, but we do not have control of them. Which means when we want something, and we want to be effective in getting it, our focus needs to be on what we control. Okay? Go to the mirror and look in there. That's who you control. You do not control your wife. You do not control your kids. You influence them. Now, you influence them at a higher degree than, let's say, your brother-in-law or your mom. Your mom has powdered butt syndrome. She powdered your butt. She wiped your ass. You can only influence her so much. She will always view you as her child. Right? Your brother-in-law sees you as the guy that's hooked up with his sister or the girl that's hooked up with his brother. Right? Your influence there might be substantial, but in the end, it's one-off from your wife or your kids. Okay? Guy you co-worker you have, you have even less influence with. And this is the interesting thing. The further you go in that model, the more you have to earn the right to influence. Okay? So... If you're my wife and I say, I think we should do this, I'm going to get some level of at least tacit consideration unless we have a diseased and damaged marriage. 
no matter how preposterous it is, she's at least going to say, why do you think that? Right? What led to this? Right? And if I make a reasonable case, we might even change how we're going to do it, but we might actually do it. But I have this initial, absolute buy-in that there must be something valid to what I say, because this is my husband. Right? This is my dad. Now, when I go to my coworker and I say, well, I think we should all do this, and it sounds ridiculous, I have a lot more to do, or hopefully I've done a lot more already, to ingratiate myself with him to the point where he's at least willing to consider the influence that I have. And a stranger on the street I've never met before, so that I just walk up to and say, you know, this is what we're doing and this is what you should do too. Is going to say, I don't know you from Adam, dude. Get away from me. So influence upon others is something that is earned, not inherited. Leadership is earned. It does not come with a title. Authority over others. Where in certain instances, I will say, do this and you will just do it, is to be earned. Now we have an educational system and a hierarchical system that it tries to program around that. But you see it all the time anyway. You see guys get promoted in the military due to time of service and scores and whatever. They weren't really ready for it, but there was a position and they put them in it and they get the extra stripe and they start barking orders around. And men that, that, that absolutely are required at a level to obey at a higher level than any other organization more than a law enforcement organization, and certainly more than any other group. Right? If you were for IBM, and a guy becomes a new section head, and he says, I want you to do this this way from now on, and you don't do it, the worst thing that can possibly happen, the worst thing that can possibly happen, is you can get fired. Right? You're not going to go to jail. Well, in the military, you can go to stockade. Probably won't, but you could. Right? And if your boss at IBM comes up and says, I, want, you know, I don't like the way you did your TPS reports. Get down and give me 20 push-ups. And you tell them to piss off, nothing happens. Well, in the military, you're disobeying a direct order. Or in this case, an NCO, a lawful order, right? Got to go back to my military programming and remember the difference, like it matters. Anyway, so, <laughs> you get a guy in that position, he starts telling everybody what to do, and assuming he's working for a command that, has the shit together, no one does what he says, and he comes back to his, you know, his, his, his staff sergeant or his sergeant first class or his lieutenant or captain or whatever and says, I, I, these men are not listening to me. I want to reprimand them. I want to do this. I want to do that. And the enlightened commander goes, you know, it sounds to me, sergeant, like you weren't ready to be a sergeant. Maybe you need to go back and earn the authority that you seek. So if that's the case in the military... It's definitely the case in school. It's definitely the case in the corporate world. It's definitely the case in voluntary organizations. If you want authority, authority is a form of influence. Because authority is always conditional unless the authority is over someone that doesn't think. So I might say, look, we're part of a military unit. We need to take that building. right? And my men will say, we're going to do that. And I'll say, this is how we're going to do it. Here's the plan. And they will obey that. Right? If I say, listen, what I want you to do is take your gun, put it in your mouth, and blow the back of your skull off, they're going to go, you know what, the sergeant has lost his freaking mind. It's time for us to take him back to the rear and get him some help. 
right? They're not just going to obey it. So authority is always conditional. How far the authority that you have is, goes is just a measure of how far your influence goes. How trusted are you? How trusted are you? If I'm implicitly trusted, my influence goes a lot further than if I'm only tacitly trusted. And if I'm tacitly trusted, my influence goes a lot further than if I have yet to earn any trust at all. So if you want to be effective in your life, you focus on yourself and you will inherently earn trust and your influence will grow. And that is a direct way to measure what we call social capital. The wealthiest people in the world, if they're truly wealthy, have massive social capital. There's billionaires, multimillionaires that have massive social capital and leave all their money to their kids. The children have money, but they do not have social capital. They inherit a certain amount, but if they're not good stewards of it, they dissolve it quickly and no one trusts them and no one wants them. And all the people around them become parasites that solely want access to their financial capital. That's why the wealthy over time have become pretty astute at making sure that their children are well learned. That's why these aristocracy type families have lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years and new wealth also often doesn't make it one generation. I'm not saying they're all a bunch of good guys, but I'm saying they've at least figured that out. I can't leave my kid behind to be a dumbass and not understand how much work went into all of this. So they have to be able to integrate socially with all of the people within our circles. They have to understand philanthropy is necessary for a corporation to be effective. They have to understand that just because you have a name doesn't mean you get to be sit at the head of the table and tell everybody else what to do. They have to understand that everybody else sitting at this table is there because we value their opinion. It's like the young prince that becomes a prince, becomes a king without guidance. His kingdom is short-lived. The truly intelligent aristocracy always raises their children as renaissance men and renaissance women. To be able to interact at all these different levels. To know that they control themselves first. And that if I want something done, one person, I need you to get this done for me. Boom. Done. No questions asked. Another person, I have so much respect for this person. I want you to tell me if you think this makes sense. And when they say yes, I go, okay, then I need it done. And they'll do it. And when they say no, I need to sit back and go, hmm. You know what? I've considered what you have to say. Let me check in a few other things. I can come back and go, I've considered your opinion. And I think you bring up some good points. But I still need this done. It. Boom, they'll go do it. Another person, same scenario, that I might come back to them and go, you know what, I think you're right about this. Bring me a plan to do this this way. Boom, plan comes back, we look at it, we work it out together, and the next time I want something done, and this person objects and I disagree, they're far more likely to realize that they were heard. My influence is greater. The more people you influence, the more power you have, but it all starts with self-control and understanding other It's not manipulation. Manipulation is when somebody does it for you. It's not earned. Manipulation is when a system does it for you, right? I create a McDonald's franchise type thing, and people obey because they're afraid to get fired. That, that's, 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 that's effective, but limited. That's why you have to hire all teenagers that don't know shit yet. 
And that's why you, all your managers are people that either want to become like you as a franchise owner and understand they're playing the game to get there, or your long-term managers that will never own a store are people that have decided, well, this is the best I can do. Pay's okay. Pay some decent benefits. Job security's great because there's not a lot of people like me willing to take this shit that are also smart enough to do it. So they're mediocre. That's what you get. See, in a system of hierarchy where respect is assigned versus earned, you end up with mediocrity. In a system based on mutual respect, that's where you achieve great things. That doesn't mean that at some point certain decisions have to be made and a person that's earned the respect gets to make that decision. But that's earned. That shit is earned. And it's earned by... See, this is something... I bet you no one's ever explained this to you. Ever. That it's never earned so much by the actions that you exhibit to others, but by the control you exhibit to yourself. The acceptance that... The acceptance. The surrender. I do not control anybody but me. Every belief that I have control over others is an illusion. And even if it's real, it's only because they believed my bullshit. They could break the chain like that anytime they want to. When you understand that, what happens is you gain implicit trust of the people around you. They respect you. And your social capital expands. It's not about numbers. It's about the fact that you could call somebody and go, look, I met this guy and he's looking for a job. You know anybody. And that person, even if they don't know anybody off the top of their head, says, you know what? Uh, if he's coming from you, let me see what I can do. Let me call a couple people. Because they might call somebody that they have that same trust level with that knows a hundred companies looking for somebody. And say, let me put it out to my, and all of a sudden this guy gets a job. And you don't think anything of it. I made a phone call. No, you knew you controlled yourself. You did what you could. You're at peace with that. The guy is shivering, right, on the park bench. He thinks no one gives a shit. And people come around and, you know, whatever. You go to the shelter or whatever. And some guy just walks by and puts a blanket on him. Walks away. Doesn't tell him he's wrong. Doesn't tell him what he should do. Just observes one thing. Hey, you're cold. I have this thing that would make you warmer. Here, take it. Never sees each other again. Sometimes the guy might end up dead the next day. Too far gone. I don't know. But every so often, that guy goes, holy crap, someone gives a shit. Maybe for the first time in their life, someone gives a shit. And they start being open to these other methods of help that are available. Maybe someday they meet somebody that becomes like their mentor in life. For many young men, it's the first time a, a strong male role model above them gives them what the father should have given them. And one day they accomplish something great, and they you know they say, you know, this guy helped me through. They might not even remember you put the blanket on him. But that's what really did it. Because you knew that you didn't control social policy. You knew that you didn't control what that guy did with the blanket you gave him, or the five bucks that you gave him. You just did it because it's what you could do, and it's what seemed right at the time. Do that, and your life 
that is possible will begin to unfold in front of you. And you'll never lay on a deathbed and think, I wish I would have been myself, because that is you. Give yourself permission to be yourself. Stop being afraid that you're not a good person. If you, for one second, think, well, if I just let myself be myself, I might do bad stuff. You won't. A person that's mentally sick doesn't give a shit that they do bad stuff. Let yourself be who you are. We do these evil things, these bad things, out of fear. We fear that we're going to lose. That we're not going to have enough. We live in a world of abundance. Be your true self. You'll earn social capital. You'll earn influence. The last one I have to attribute to Michael Jordan, the Bee Whisperer. He sent me an email that I'll read on Monday. And one of the things says is that he gave all he had at his talk, left nothing behind. And I don't know if that would have made it to the list if I hadn't got that email this morning. That's my last one. Give all you have, leave nothing on the table, make your dash matter. Back to the military, I had a commander one time that I didn't serve under for very long. It was like, I got assigned to the unit, a couple weeks later he leaves, and you know, I was a private, a private doesn't interact with a company commander, a captain very much. But I was there for his final words to his company as he turned the command over to another captain and went off to do something else. And he said, let me leave you with this. All of you are mortal, which means all of you one day will die. I know a lot of you are young kids, I know a lot of you are here because of mom and apple pie. A lot of you are here because you didn't know what to do with yourself or because an army recruiter was effective. And there's a hundred other reasons that you might be here. And now you're here and you're wondering what you do next. Some of you will be here for 20 years and retire old soldiers. Some will stay for 30. And let me tell you guys, I've worked with the old NCOs. And the guys that have been here 26, 27, 28 years, they're at a point where they're not here for themselves anymore. They're here for the man next to you because they believe in what they do enough to want to be. Some of you will do two years, four years, go back to your life. But no matter what, sooner or later, they'll put you in a box or incinerate your corpse and you will depart from this planet. And somewhere there'll be a plaque or a stone with your name Maybe a nice saying, and two years on it. The year you were born, and the year you died. In between those two numbers will be a dash. That dash is you. Make it matter. Make it worth something. Make it mean something. Make it mean something that you could never sum up in words. That's what I think of when I hear, give all you have. Give all you have is some stupid way to drum up patriotism where people act blindly. Give all you have is about your own spirit, your own moral compass and say, these are the things that matter to me and I am going to spend my entire life giving all I have. And when I'm old and they lay me to rest or shoot me out of a cannon, or burn me up, or launch me out to sea, or whatever the hell they do with the empty shell that then is my corpse. I will know that while I had the chance, I took the actions that were consistent with my beliefs. I was who I really was. And I never gave a damn 
whether or not somebody liked it. I only gave a damn that it worked and it was the right thing based on what I knew. Those people are the ones that have legacy. When you build a life that's simply true to who you are, you always build an amazing life. Some people do it with wealth. Some people do it with immaterial wealth. The common denominator is happiness, joy, fulfillment, meaning, and a sense of accomplishment. We've had celebrities. Everything you could ever imagine a person would want materialistically. Overdose on drugs. They didn't overdose on drugs. They killed themselves. They killed themselves. They knew what they were doing when they did it. Why? No purpose. No meaning. No consistency. Phony social capital. Everybody loves me. But nobody really trusts me. Everybody wants something from me. Instead of want something for themselves that I can help them get. That's the greatest gift I have with TSP. I have people that want for themselves because of the influence what we do has. And they're willing to do the work to get it. Otherwise, you're just a leech feeding other leeches. Never leave it on the table. Never think, I could have done more and I didn't. But with balance. You can't work to the point where you lose your, your wife. Now, I'm doing this for my family, but you don't have a wife. You have a lady that lives in your house and you see at 3 in the morning. You have to balance these things. I'm doing this for my son. You turn around one day, he's graduating high school. You don't know who his two best friends are. Can't do that either. To balance it. Give it all as a father or a mother, an uncle or an aunt, a company president, a volunteer. Wherever you interact with others, give it all. Give it all because it comes back. It comes back over and over and over and over again if you give it all. And here's the, here's the beautiful part. A lot of what I've said today sounds difficult and hard. But it's so damn easy once you do it. Everything does get easier. It, gets, it seems harder at times. Why am I working so hard? Why am I doing all this? I can't believe that this is my life. I thought the stuff was supposed to get better. But understand that it's like healing from, 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 from a, a massive injury. You know? You're doing the physical therapy when you start. You're squeezing the silly putty. You're doing a chin-up in bed because you can't walk yet. When you take the first steps, it's agony. But all of a sudden, all of that starts to repair the damage. And that's why people that go through horrific things in their life accomplish so much in so short a time. Because the damage is healed. And they realize, screw it. This is it. This is what I get. Damn it, I'm doing it. Full steam ahead, man. Let's make it happen. Here's the good news. You don't have to be in a car wreck or a motorcycle accident or end up on skid row. Society has damaged you sufficiently that you're on freaking, you're in the ICU right now, most likely. It's enough trauma. 
You've been programmed to hate your brother, to hate your sister. To curse your father if he votes the wrong way. You've been programmed to believe that it's okay for the government to pay attention to your Facebook page. You've been programmed to believe it's okay to put somebody in prison for a plant. And I can keep going. That's enough trauma. You've been injured enough. Have that, have that resurrection in your life, man. Heal yourself. Take the steps. Squeeze the silly putty. Do the chin-ups. Crawl. Walk. Run. Get on with it. Because no one's going to do it for you. And you can stay in the bed and shout orders to everyone around you where you can get your ass up and you can get shit done. And with that, this has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Someday